And it says the king had compassion. Same Greek word here. The king had compassion on him and canceled his debt. Do you know what it means? To, it, he forgave his debt. Jesus looked upon you when you were coming to him and his heart was broken because you too were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd, looking to have your needs met. And Jesus forgave you. Just like he forgave that servant in Matthew 18, he forgave you. This is Jesus's compassion. And he desires to express that compassion through you. And so he does that in the feeding of the 5,000. When they ask him, how are we going to do this? He says, you give them something to eat. Now I want you to imagine that you were one of those disciples and you were told by Jesus to feed 5,000, 15,000, however many exactly there were, and you were told to do this. What would you say? Are you serious, Jesus? I don't have that much money. No, 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 no. Feed them. And Jesus then takes the five loaves, distributes it between 12 apostles. So you do the math with that. You've already been through the fractions in your math class. You do the math on that. He takes two fish and divides them between two. Do the math on that. And here, I don't know, maybe they had a basket. Maybe it was in their hands. I'm thinking it was in a basket. That's what they collect the leftovers with. So they have this in the basket and they are approaching. Remember, everybody sat down in groups of 50. Here you are. You're approaching your first group of 50 and you have not even half a loaf of bread and about one third, what's one sixth of a fish. Would you not feel just a little bit embarrassed? This is all that I have. And I'm supposed to feed a group of 50? And it doesn't stop there because now I have to feed another group of 50. Imagine 5,000 divided by 50, okay? There's at least 100 groups here. You're just thinking about the first, you're thinking about the very first person thinking, you know, I could consume this and still be hungry. And Jesus wants me to feed this group of 50, and then I've got to go into the next group of 50. How is he? And can I just ask you, because here's the principle that we are beginning to see unfold for us. God, Jesus himself, has given you his spirit. He has poured into you gifts. He has given you opportunities. He has given you life-shaping experiences to build character in your life, out of which then he is producing what we call the fruit of the spirit. And he is now saying, go amongst these people, the crowds, and you feed them. And you look at this and you're saying, oh my goodness, are you serious with just this? Is there not a sense of inadequacy to be able to minister to people? I'm not a pastor. I'm a pastor and I still think that. <laughs> I, I, I only, this is it. This is all I've got, Jesus. But he's speaking to you this morning. Do you not believe that when I call you, that I will work through you? You've heard the expression where there's vision, there is what? Provision. When God calls you, when he sends you out to meet needs, will he not give you everything you need, and maybe some others with you, to meet these needs? God desires 
to work through you supernaturally. Can I, can I suggest to you that the love you give to those who are hurting is supernatural love? That the joy that he fills you is supernatural joy. That the spiritual gifts that he's imparted to you are supernatural. You know, we live in a day in which there's the cessationist and continuous argument. Do all the gifts of the Spirit continue on for today? You know where I stand on that. All of them continue today. But I have to ask, why is this tendency within man to divide? There's the natural spiritual gifts and then the supernatural. They call them the extraordinary spiritual gifts. You know, excuse me for splitting hairs here, perhaps. But are not all the spiritual gifts supernatural? Are they not all extraordinary? Who are we to divide them? As if, well, I can handle this, and and apparently, God, you can handle this too, because teaching is a natural gift. But oh my goodness, I better not prophesy. I better not dare lay my hands on someone. They might be healed. That's, That's the extraordinary gift. Hello, God has given you a portion of the bread and a small piece of fish, and he is telling you, you feed them. And when that happens, something very supernatural happens. When they are taking this and they finally get past their insecurities and feeling of so silly, but I'm supposed to feed this group. When I walk up to the very first person and I say, here, have something to eat. And they look inside and they look up at me and they're going to say, really? This is it? But somehow, when that first person looked in, either before or after, God began to multiply. You feed them. Church, this morning, I want to tell you, you feed them. You feed the crowds. You allow the Spirit of God to do something supernatural through you. And whenever the Spirit uses you, trust me, it will be supernatural. And so we we see this unfolding as Jesus' heart is for his disciples to give, for him to use his disciples. Now, we learned that (laughs) when they ate, they were all satisfied. From a naturalistic perspective, absolutely impossible. Five loaves, two fishes, can't be done. I don't care how you do the math, you cannot feed that many people. Won't ever happen. It happened. Jesus did something utterly amazing for his apostles, who, by the way, had just gotten back from going by two by two into all the towns, healing the sick, casting out demons, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. They saw the supernatural. Here was another learning experience. I have so little. Yet because Jesus gave this to me, and he told me to do it, I know it's going to be enough. Can that minister to your heart this morning? Because as we go on to this next thing, I concluded with this idea of when they gathered the remains, the 12 baskets 
were filled with broken pieces. Think about that for a moment. The 12 baskets, and as we looked, this number 12 has actually significance in both Old and New Testament. Old and New Testament. The 144,000 is 12 times 1,000. 12 times, 144,000. When Elijah was calling upon the Lord and he had an altar built, he built it out of, what, 10 stones? 12 stones. How many barrels of water did he have poured on his sacrifice just to demonstrate the utter impossibility of his sacrifice igniting with fire, which was the purpose. The the 450 prophets of Baal, they, they cried, prayed, cut themselves, anything occultish that they that came to their mind, and nothing happened. Baal apparently was on a vacation. And so Elisha, he says, I want you to take these four barrels, fill them with water, and dump it on the sacrifice. Awesome. Now do it again. Thank you so much. Now do it one more time. You do the math. How many barrels is that? His purpose, when you look at it, was to be able to see revival ignite the northern kingdom, which were ten tribes, and be united to the southern two kingdoms, making twelve as the people of God. This is what we understand. This number 12, the significance is that it represents the people of God. The 12 tribes of Israel, though they were leaders, represented the people of God. The 12 apostles are the foundations of the new Jerusalem. They represent the people of God. How many elders are in the book of Revelation? 15, 18, no, 24 representing both the old 12 and the new covenant people, 12, meaning the entire people of God, Old and New Testament, enjoying the very presence of God. So the 12, this number 12 has great significance concerning the people of God. So listen, and I mentioned this last week, and I want us to dig into it just a bit more this morning. The 12 baskets were filled with what again, church? Broken pieces. Broken pieces. Jesus' church is purposely filled with broken people. It is not by accident or coincidence because sin breaks you. It breaks you. And we're going to look at some examples here, but sin breaks us everybody, everyone on the face of planet Earth is broken in need of a mender. Everyone on planet Earth was born into brokenness. Psalm 51. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. The heart is desperately wicked. Beyond Cure. Who can understand it? The God that chose to step down into this broken world to mend this broken world by going to the cross. That is the only one who can fix this. Beyond that, we are irreparable. Crushed. Luke 4. The crushed, the broken, crushed ones, 
Jesus came to heal them. That's from Isaiah 61, a quote. Here, we have this picture of the church, the people of God, who are broken. Now, we know that this is an, an undercurrent teaching in the Gospels without the, the, the synopticus, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because John, he says, okay, guys, you, you, you inspired by the Spirit, you, you didn't say it clearly, and so that's what I'm going to do. And when you turn to John 6, John says that Jesus had them gather up the broken pieces so that none would be wasted. And we saw that that word wasted is the same word for perish that John uses many times. God so loved the broken world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what that word means. That's the word John chose to use right there. The other three Gospels do not have Jesus saying that. He did, but John says, let let me go somewhere with this. Jesus came to rescue and not waste these broken pieces. And as we learn later in that chapter, he says this, I want you to not just be satisfied with physical food, but with spiritual food that brings eternal life. And then he talked about himself being the bread of heaven. He talked about himself being the bread of life. And I want you to, I want to ask you this question. If you, if you could, if you had maybe a couple of minutes, you think about this word life, what comes to your mind? Maybe you can do it right now, write it down, but what comes to your mind? Life. What comes to your mind when I say life? Is it just not dying? I'm going to encourage you, expand your understanding of this word life, my friend. Life. Joy. Love. Richness. Satisfaction in God. This relationship with Jesus Christ that I wake up in the morning and I look forward to every day. That's life. Life happens in the midst of death. Life happens in the midst of the hardest trials. Life happens when all we are seeing is death and God breaks through and he speaks life. And that life is through his son, Jesus. Eat of my flesh. He says in that very same chapter, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. He's not turning cannibalistic and that's not where he's going with this. He's talking about this intimacy with the bread of life, of life. So everything that you just wrote down or thought of, and some of you can just think really quick, that's not me, but you probably had 10 things come to your mind when I said life. Jesus is that. Jesus is that. He is the giver of life. I knew I'd find a place to work this in. I I told some people the other week that Rose gave a marvelous illustration. I said, man, I've got to work that into this. So here it goes. Zach was taking Cooper out into the dark to put him in the car, and Cooper was getting afraid of the dark. Now, if I were talking to Cooper, I would say, Cooper, there's no need to be afraid. But that's not what Zach said. Zach looked up and he said, Cooper, look at me. And he asked this question, who am I? 
Because the answer to who am I would calm Cooper's fears. You're my daddy who will always protect me. And I just need you to be here with me. And that's, that's it. And Jesus is wanting to ask you, hang on, hang on. He's speaking to the crowds. And, and I'm paraphrasing, of course. Who am I? Who am I? Everything that came to your came to your mind concerning this idea of life—that's who I am, and more, so much more. I am life. I am the bread of life. I am the giver of life, and I want to give that to you. And so, it's for this reason when they gather the twelve baskets, those fragments were not—they did not perish, because you and I were in that basket. This is called a prophetic act. You and I were in that basket. Satisfied in Christ. Remember, they ate and were satisfied. Satisfied in Christ, never to perish. Drinking in, taking in the bread of life, the giver of life. Now, with that in mind, the very fact that these are broken pieces, I want us to look at something. Turn with me now, and I hope we have enough time, but turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke 15. The crowds were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They were broken. They were needy. And they constantly inconvenienced Jesus who did not just simply reach into his pocket and give them a few coins. He went deeper to meet their needs. And again, listen to me. It's not that he never did that. They had a money bag. They apparently used it to give money to the poor. We just never see Jesus doing this because the Gospels want to focus on the deepest aspects of Jesus' compassion, which is this. Luke 15. Matthew 9 parable of the the story of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus' compassion. But look at this now, just a little different. Now, who is it that is with Jesus? It says, the tax collectors and sinners. Now, does your Bible have sinners in quotes? We're going to come to that. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But, but the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, those who apparently at least believed that they knew the truth, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Unclean. These tax collectors, they're unclean. These sinners, they're unclean. And and you're wanting to be with them, Jesus? Remember when Jesus went to Levi's party and just called him to be his disciples? Who showed up for the party? Well, Levi's friends. The sinners and tax collectors. I mean, come on, Levi himself was a tax collector. Why not? And Jesus, when he was put in a similar situation, said, the Son of Man did not come to save the righteous, but those in need, the sinner. And we see Jesus reaching out to the sinner, reaching out to the tax collector, these two groups, if you ever wanted to know the the worst of the worst, 
You know, when you walk through a field and you get something on the bottom of your shoe, that thing? Yeah, those are the tax collectors and sinners of society in the minds of the Jew of Jesus' day, or especially the religious leaders. Jesus does not treat them. He didn't scrape them off the bottom of his boot. That's, that's probably what I would want to do, right? What an inconvenience. This is disgusting. I want to track this into my home. And yet, church, this, excuse me for being blunt, was you before you came to Christ. You were like a tax collector and a sinner. Was there anyone who was righteous enough to be able to earn God's forgiveness? You were broken, just like me. Come on. You were broken, just like me. You, excuse me, were that stuff on the bottom of Jesus' sandal. Let me change the metaphor, okay? (laughs) Jesus welcomes the broken pieces. I want us to look at two. Turn to the right in your Bible to Luke chapter 18. I did purpose to have a bit more time on this. But you are familiar with the story of blind Bartimaeus, right? You know, if if you're a mom or a dad, you have probably gotten a children's Bible book and you've probably read this story so many times. Different ways of the story being told. I love it. Don't you, if moms, dads, don't you love just doing the voices in the, maybe not. I love doing that. You know, when I'm reading to my kids, I play the different voices. You know, I try to act it out. You know, I I love reading these stories. And I've probably read the story of Blind Bartimaeus to my kids like 5,000 times. And so here is this story. Now, it it starts off by saying this, as Jesus, are you with me in there in Luke 18.35? As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside. And what was he doing? begging. He was asking for money. And so Jesus, as you continue reading, reached into his pocket and gave him a few. It doesn't say that, does it? What did Jesus do? When he heard the crowd, he being the blind man, Luke doesn't tell us it's Bartimaeus, that's Mark. Matthew actually tells us that there were two blind men. So we do know that there's another blind man here. But this one man is being singled out. Mark tells us his name is Bartimaeus, which simply means son of Timaeus or Timothy. And the focus is on this young, this, this man here. When he, Bartimaeus, heard the crowd going by, the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David. What amazing insight. Bartimaeus, how did you know that he was the son of David? Who told you? You know what he would have said? The prophets told me. The prophets told me. Turn to Isaiah chapter 11, stump of Jesse. He's the lineage of David. Matthew Matthew chapter 1, which Bartimaeus hadn't read yet. Think about that. Okay. Uh, That that goes through Jesus' genealogy right through David. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way, how did they respond to Bartimaeus? Dude, shut up. Okay, he rebuked him and told him to be quiet. That's that's a polite way. They told him to shut up. But what did Bartimaeus do? He shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. Then he reached into his pocket, right? No. 
when he came near, Jesus asked, what do you want me to do? Did he open his hand up? If he did, I can only imagine Jesus saying, okay, hang on. Go deeper. What do you really want? What do you really need? Acts 3, the beggar sitting by the gate, beautiful, stuck at his palm, asked for an alm, and this is what Peter did say, right? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. I guess they spoke King James back then, right? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Because I really know what your real need is. And it's not just money. And Bartimaeus is brought before Jesus and Jesus asks him, what do you want? And Bartimaeus pulls out his Christmas wish list. And at the very top is, I want to see again. Not, I'd like a $50 gift certificate to Kohl's. Okay? I want to see again. And Jesus heals him. And then he is told, go. Go. In other words, depart. Go on your way now. In other words, go throughout life. Being able to see again and start anew. Go. Your faith has rescued you. Now, obviously, we know that God really rescued him. It's not wrong to say your faith has rescued you. It's by grace, through faith, that we are saved. Right, church? So help me out here a bit. Jesus is fine in saying this. But what does the man do? He starts following Jesus. He doesn't depart. He doesn't just go out and live life. His life is now with Jesus. I think Mark records his name. And, and, and I'm speculating here because Mark writes from Rome. He's ministering the gospel that Peter had taught and he was his pupil. And Bartimaeus became well known to him. Maybe a leader in the church, we don't know. But Mark is the only one who mentions him. Maybe Bartimaeus became a missionary. We, we, we don't know. It is curious why only Mark mentions him. But here we do know he starts following Jesus. He's a beggar, financially bereft, bankrupt, nothing. And Jesus doesn't just give him a few coins. He teaches him how to fish, if you allow me to say it that way. So he can live life by following Jesus. The very next story, I'm not going to read it to you. Zacchaeus, Zach actually preached on it a month or so ago. Actually, exactly a month ago. And Zacchaeus is kept from seeing Jesus because there is something that is so very disturbed in his soul. It's not that he's blind, and it's not that he doesn't have money. The truth is, he has too much money. There's a contrast we begin to see here, but they are very similar. The crowd tells Bartimaeus, shut up. The crowd, because of Zacchaeus, he was uh, height-challenged. He could not see Jesus over the people. 
Bartimaeus didn't give up. Zacchaeus didn't give up. Why? There was something so burdening their heart. Jesus is the giver of life. I need something from him. Bartimaeus didn't call out just random names or just say, hey, whoever can, give me some money. Jesus. Jesus. And when he was called to come forward, he came to Jesus. Zacchaeus, why would he want an audience with Jesus? Why would Zacchaeus want an audience with Jesus? Because his problem was deeply spiritual. He was bankrupt and he knew it, even though he had plenty of money. He was one of those broken fragments. And Jesus was wanting to welcome him into that basket. And so Bar, excuse me, Zacchaeus gets his audience with Jesus. And Jesus invites himself to dinner. We don't know anything that Jesus said. Look in your Bibles there. There is nothing in red in the latter portion of the statement. I'm sure Jesus probably said some things, but Zacchaeus' heart is changed. And he says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give restitution. Why? Because his heart was changed. And so Jesus, in view of this heart change, he says, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost and what was broken because he wanted to have an audience for the tax collectors and the sinners. Tax collectors, and that's what we have here. Did you, did you realize that? There's a tax collector, and Bartimaeus was considered a sinner. Do you remember in John 9, the man that was, born, that was born blind? The question asked Jesus was, was it because of his sin or his parents' sin that he was born blind or that he's blind? I can only imagine the horror Jesus felt in his heart when his disciples had asked him that question. It was one of those oive moments. Wow. Do you guys really still believe this? That just because of a parent's sin or your own sin, God's going to, that's why people are blind? Bartimaeus was viewed as a sinner because he was blind. That's just how the Jews viewed these people. Bartimaeus was a sinner. No. Bartimaeus perhaps born blind, so that God that day would be given the glory. That's what Jesus told them in John 9. Neither this man sinned nor his parents, but he was born this way so that God would receive glory. I, I want to conclude with this. Jesus is saying to you, Gather the fragments, the broken pieces into the basket because I, Jesus, has, have compassion on the broken ones and I want you to as well because you were broken and I healed you and you're going to continue to go through life experiences and continue to be broken because you will always need to realize how needy you are. Even as Christians, church, I'm broken. I am broken. 
I came to Jesus as a sinner, worse than a tax collector, and Jesus healed me. But the truth is, regularly through life, I realize over and over that I am being broken and revealed this amazing need that I have that only Jesus can heal and fix and remedy. And I'm going to tell you this. If you were a broken person when you came to Jesus, you all were, you're going to continue to experience in a different sense this brokenness that reveals your utter need and dependency. Dependence. I learned that was a, no, dependence. Need for dependence upon God himself. You need this. I need this. I'm in one of Jesus' 12 baskets. I'm one of his people. I'm one of his children. You are as well if you believe in Jesus. He healed your brokenness and he continues to heal your brokenness. Why? Because Jesus wants to show you his grace is more than enough. You were a Bartimaeus or a Zacchaeus in tremendous need, and Jesus met that need. It wasn't a quick fix. It wasn't a Band-Aid. It wasn't two quarters in your palm. No, it was rise up and walk. It was, you can see now. Jesus, it says in one of the Gospels, he actually touched the man's eyes. Healed. Why? Because the man had faith. That's what will always come back to church. You will continually come into life experiences that will reveal your brokenness and utter need for dependence upon God so that he can show you his grace. Every day, he wants to reveal more and more of his grace. And the more you receive of that grace, he's going to speak to you over and over again. You feed them. You feed them. You show them my grace. Who am I? Jesus is the bread of life. And he meets everything that you need. Everything. Will you stand with me? Some of you, you may find that this morning you are broken. You are apart from Jesus. He wants to heal you. I'm going to give you that opportunity as we turn the lights off. If you want Jesus to remedy that heart that is beyond cure, I'm going to tell you, you need Jesus. If you're at a place, though, in your walk with Christ, seeking to follow him, and he is revealing to you again your brokenness and need of him and his grace, will you just take the time? You can come to the altar if you wish. You can do it standing or kneeling, however however you choose but just show him your heart God what a broken vessel I am this life experience it undoes me and I am broken 
need you, Jesus, again, by your grace. Some of us, you're calling us into that basket to be amongst your people, to truly trust in Jesus Christ and surrender our lives to you and pledge our allegiance to you and repent and turn to you. And God, you want to rescue us from the world and heal us. For those, some of us, Lord God, as we're walking with you, we're just highlighting again, again, how much we need you. Every need, giver of life. In Jesus' name, I 